today we're going to be finishing off our Outward Faith series, uh, or at least this portion of it, because really, when you get into missions weeks, that's a, a, a great extent of our Outward Faith, is even into the, the outer reaches of the world. Um, but what we're going to be talking about today is actually the theme verse. Uh, Luke 19.13 is the theme verse for missions weeks. And we're going to be talking about the parable that that verse comes from. The idea of investing until he returns. And, you know, one thing uh, that I, I love to, uh, one of the memes I like uh, that I find really humorous is the, the you had one job kind of meme. I don't know if you've seen those where it just shows kind of hilariously uh, just people's attempts to do their job but failed somewhat miserably. And so that's something that I find pretty humorous. Hopefully you do this morning as well. Uh, but this is an example of that. Some put a lot of, of work and effort into that, but missed one, one really minor detail. Um, here's another one I found funny. I'm going to give you a while to see that one. If you're a grammar person, you see it right away, so maybe they, they weren't the best teacher uh, ever. Uh, but here's one that I think we're going to be able to identify all of our um, OCD people. Uh, this is the kind of thing. They're the ones sitting in their pew kind of just twitching right now. Uh, and all these things are funny, right? It's a good joke for all of us to kind of talk about these failures. They're like, come on, man, you had one job. But the text we're going to be reading today, really, it, I mean, it goes beyond a joke, but it's, the, it's a reality for all of us that when Jesus left, he kind of gave us one job, one job to do. Sometimes we can forget that. We can complicate it. We can be going totally in the wrong direction. But the job is pretty simple. Uh, and uh, John had highlighted that. It's make disciples, right? Make the kingdom grow. Invest in the kingdom with what God has given you. And today we're going to you know, be talking about this parable kind of at a high level. But I hope we can walk away remembering and being empowered to do that one job that Jesus gave us to do. So open up in your Bibles now to uh, Luke chapter 19. We're going to be reading uh, verses 11 through 27, but before we do that, let's just take a moment real quickly to, to pray together before we uh, read the Word of God. So God, we thank you uh, that you trust us so much. It's, it's often very humbling uh, that you would, but it's clear that you have. And so today as we read this parable that you gave, I, I pray that we'd always remember that one job you gave us to do, that we'd do it well, uh, we'd do it in your power and with the opportunities you give us. But ultimately, Lord, I, I pray that we would all do it in a way that when we see you face to face, we'd hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So guide us all individually and as a community to do that job that you gave us to do. And we pray this now. In your name, amen. amen. Let's read together Luke 19, 11 through 27. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear, going to appear at once. And he said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. 
He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. And his master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it, lay it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit? So when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Yikes. That ended pretty abruptly and... uh, that's the kind of thing when you read that, is it, is it saying, is Jesus saying that we're going to have to kill people in front of him? You know, and I, I think there's, in parables, this tendency to try to take everything too literally. Uh, to be clear, that's not what Jesus is going to ask us to do. And in a parable, not everything means something, okay? But some things mean everything. And there's big principles that you see in a parable. And today we're going to look really at the three big principles or elements of these parables, and, and first it centers around the nobleman, the master who went away and we, would become king, and we see three key observations here. He left for an undisclosed amount of time. He entrusted resources to his servants to work on his behalf while he was away, and then he returned as king. Now, who does this sound like to you? Jesus. It's very obviously Jesus. He's the nobleman, in this story. And parables often are those things that are spoken in kind of common languages or stories that people can understand. Uh, We wouldn't recognize this as much, but in this time, that's exactly how people became powerful. They went off, uh, especially in the Roman government, they went off to the emperor to be uh, appointed, uh, and and they'd come back and rule over their kingdom. But this, this helps us understand Jesus, and more importantly, his kingdom. Uh, Because at the backdrop of this parable, we see Jesus at this moment is about to go into Jerusalem to kind of kick off the Holy Week that we celebrate now. He's going to, right after this story that he shares, find the donkey and and ride in in the triumphal entry and march his way towards the cross. But in verse 11, we saw that there is some who said, okay, Jesus is going into Jerusalem. Now the kingdom of God is going to start. And they're understanding the kingdom of God as material and political. That is something that was going to be tangible before him, that Jesus is going to go overthrow the Romans. But really, Jesus is explaining that he's going to go to die, 
that, that he's going to be away for a while, that he's going to uh, die on the cross, he'll resurrect from the dead, and he'll ascend to heaven for a time, where he still is today, until one day he would come back. And so his kingdom is not material or political, it's spiritual. And what we invest into is spiritual matters. It's working with people in these spiritual things, and that's how the kingdom grows. So he has gone for that time, and we're still in that time. What we call that in terms of eschatology or the end times is, is the meantime. We're in the meantime until Jesus returns. And the people he's giving this parable to didn't understand what the kingdom would be about. In fact, shortly after this, before he goes uh, totally into Jerusalem, he, he weeps. There's one of two times in the Bible that Jesus cries, and this is one of them. He weeps over Jerusalem and says, if you actually knew what was going to bring you peace, but you missed it. I'm, I'm the guy here that's going to build this kingdom of peace for you. And so up front, I just want to say this is a trap we can easily fall into as well, is misunderstanding the kingdom of God, misunderstanding the truths and the reality of Jesus. And so many times, it's that trap of already deciding what we really believe, despite how many words of Jesus might look, look different. And we'll look past those biblical principles because we don't like to trust in those. We'd rather trust in our own ideas and understanding. And there's a fancy word for that in the Bible. Uh, it's called idolatry. And it's bad. And so we're given this precious gift even today to come with blank assumptions and to look to the Word of God to provide for us our principles, everything in life, how we live, how our church operates, what His kingdom is about. And it's so very clear. But that's what he's explaining in this parable is that the kingdom is different than what you might think, that he's gone now for a time, that he's entrusted in us, the church, to do his work, and that he'll be coming back again as king and asking for an accounting of, did you do your one job while I was away? And that's where we see uh, another part, an element of this parable, is the minas. Now, this is a word that's used to illustrate 100 days' wages, or about three months' In our context, it's between ten dollars and $15,000. So it's not an incredible amount of money. Uh, if you won this in a lottery, you wouldn't quit your job. It wouldn't be life-changing. But it's not inconsequential. It's enough to make a difference. And this represents, uh, first of all, that there are resources of the nobleman. This was his money, his property, that he entrusted into the servants to be used, not for themselves, but for his kingdom, to invest in his kingdom. And it was given with this sense of expectation, like this is what it's for, but also there's a freedom in it. He didn't tell them how to use it, that each servant could have different opportunities and each might grow this in differing amounts, but it was up for them to, uh, to see the opportunities before them. And that very much represents for us the ways we've been equipped with our spiritual gifts, uh, the ways that he's given us our own time and resources, uh, it could be uh, even just the Word of God itself, that He's given to us the Gospel. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about that Gospel. Uh, Paul refers to it as the ministry of reconciliation, or the, the message of reconciliation. That when we hear the Gospel, when we're reconciled to Christ, now we're entrusted as ambassadors or representatives of Christ to now share that same message with people. But I think in a larger sense, these minas represent all the precious and the amazing things that God has given us, that we would steward during our lifetime. Skills, 
giftings, time, resources, money, energy, affections, prayers, our words, our work. It's everything that we can use to be productive for his spiritual kingdom. And that's the key here when we understand these minas, is that it's not for us, it's for him. It's given with a specific purpose. And there's a great disservice to the church, the whole church, and really to the whole world. One, if we don't use them at all, we'll get to that in a moment. And two, if we're using it for the wrong reasons. If we're using this for personal gain, selfish ambition of any kind, there's great warnings in that throughout the scripture. But everything that we've been given, we're expected to use for him, to invest in his kingdom. Now, the third important part here are the subjects and the servants. And uh, they're, they're two slightly different ideas here, but really they represent three responses that we can have to the king, that we can have to Jesus. And this represents the only three responses anyone can have in the world to Jesus. Now, there's three possible outcomes. The first is rebellion. And this is seen in verses 14 and 15, that there's subjects who hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Now, he could have been talking uh, specifically about the Jews here. As you know, throughout that Holy Week, there's many Jews who rejected him, who scoffed him, who called him king in a joking and derogatory way, that they did not accept Jesus as king. And there's many still today uh, throughout the world, dis- despite uh, what their faith background is, who reject Jesus as king. And I, I think this is a, a much higher principle that the world and everything in, is it, in it is already God's. Right? He's the author of life. And so every person, there's roughly 7 billion, 7.5 billion in the world today, all of them are subjects of God. And if they say, I don't want you to be my king, It's really just not following Jesus with your life. It's an act of rebellion. That's what sin is, is an act of rebellion against God. And so this is one possible uh, response to Jesus as king, is is just straight-up rebellion. And what's interesting about this is the verse that follows, uh, verse 15. It basically says, even if they don't accept Jesus as king, you know what? He's king anyway. And what you believe doesn't affect reality. He was appointed king, and he came back. And that's kind of the world we live in, is that there's, Jesus warns us, there's many that will reject the path to destruction. Many will reject him. Jesus is still going to be king. And the punishment we saw at the end is severe. That they experienced a horrible and terrible death for their rebellion. And that illustrates for us the reality of hell for all those who reject Jesus as king. It's something we should not delight in talking about. You should never delight in anyone going into hell. It should, it should mourn us as a church. And that's the whole point of having an outward faith, of, of having missions in our communities and around the world, is to bring people out of their rebellion and into reconciliation with God. But unfortunately, that is one of the possible outcomes to Jesus as king, is, is straight-up rebellion. And we know how that ends. The second example we see is the good example. The faithful servants who put that money to work, 
who invested into the kingdom and saw it grow. And that they had the commendation of, well done, good servant. And one had one minor turn into ten, the other had one minor turn into five, and we see there's differing amounts, but, but they're all putting this into something productive and using these God-given resources. And we see that after they've been faithful with a little, they've been given more. And I think that's kind of the beauty of this story. We see two parallel uh, parables in, in, in the New Testament, the uh, parable of the minas and the parable of the talents. And the talents, that's actually like a huge amount of money, millions of dollars in our day and age. In this one, we see it's pretty, pretty inconsequential in a lot of ways. And I, I think that's somewhat purposeful to illustrate that what God does in us and through us is, is pretty small in comparison to what God has done for us. And so in the work of Jesus on the cross really is the most important thing. Uh, we're just given a little bit of resources to point people to that. But they did their one job. And they made the kingdom grow. They invested into it. And now they've been given more. For those who can be trusted with a little can be trusted with a lot. And oftentimes we think these are the only two categories there are when it comes to responding to Jesus. But there's a third really sneaky and scary category that we're about to talk to. And that's negligence. There's one servant who did nothing with what he was given. And in verse 20, we see that uh, he came to the king and said, Sir, here is your mina, just as you gave it to me. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. The response to that was not well done, but you wicked servant. You had one job with this. He did nothing with what he was given. He did not gain anything. He did not lose anything. He simply just buried it. And that really represents for us the ways that God has gifted and equipped us to make a difference in this world for his kingdom. And yet we do nothing. And I think there's a lot of reasons we can get to that point. Sometimes it's just thinking that we're insignificant. That what we have is not important or it couldn't make a difference in this world. And often we get that way by comparing ourselves to others or comparing ourselves to our own expectations. But God has equipped you specifically and on purpose to do something for his kingdom. Sometimes it's just this divided loyalty. Maybe your, your perspective or your, your preferences or principles are in the wrong areas. Do you put the kingdom first? Sometimes it's the fear of failure. Right, what happens if I try and it doesn't work the first time and I let God down? Really letting him down is not trying at all. And that's what we see here. Maybe even the, the fear of success. What if the, this goes really well and it distracts from the other things I want to do in life? But for you, for us, there's many ways this could play out. The key here is that doing nothing comes with a demotion. That what's been given to you can be taken away. And this man makes this excuse, and to be clear, these are baseless excuses. He says, well, Master, you're, you're a hard man. You take what isn't yours, and you reap what you do not sow. All these things were false about the king, and so, in this example, he kind of uses his own words and said, if, if all that were actually true, then you'd think you'd at least do the bare minimum. You'd at least put it and just draw a little interest out of it. And this isn't a call to do the bare minimum, right? But it's, it's a command that doing something 
is better than doing nothing. He was reprimanded not for wasting the resources because he kept that squarely intact. He was demoted for wasting his opportunities. And I see so much of this parable really being about fulfilling your God-given potential in the unique ways that he's equipped and gifted you, investing until he returns. And I don't know so much that this is addressing salvation. I don't know that he was punished the same way as he was as the rebellious ones. But I think there's a warning against a wasted life. What are you doing with your life? And how are you investing into the kingdom with the resources the king has given you? And that's where we see really just this transition now between outward faith into missions. Is As John said, all of us have opportunities. There are billions of people in the world who need Jesus. And whether they live in Maple Plain or across the world, they're all a part of the missional call of the church, and not one is more important than the other. We have an opportunity to make a difference ourselves. We have an opportunity to partner with those who have been called to make a difference. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to be hearing from these people who have received that call to go to even to the furthest stretches of the world. But the point here is that you personally, as an entrusted servant, are you using everything God gave you? Are you making the relationships you should be making? Are you exemplifying the love and the grace of God? Are you using your time and your resources wisely and you're partnering with others who have the same mission? Don't be the negligent servant who, came, who, who, who talks to the master and says, I have everything just as you gave it to me. We invest until he returns. So as we wrap up, there's just three uh, big takeaways I want you to have from today, and really for all of this, this series. It's that Jesus will return sometime. We don't know when. But the focus of this is what we do in the meantime. Are you taking advantage of every opportunity that God gives you? What we do in the meantime before Jesus returns matters greatly. All right, when you pass away, now the, the song in Christ Alone, one of my favorites, it ends with these words, until he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand. All right, and today, it's factual that today is one step closer to one of two eventualities, you being called home or the Lord returning. You'll never get today back, and every day is going to be a step closer to one of those two things. It's not going to matter what you've owned, how big your bank account is, what titles or honors you received, or even how many people were at your funeral. Because you're going to be, be before the Lord Jesus, and he's going to ask you, what did you do while I was away? And you want to be able to give him an answer to which he says, well done. Well done. What you do in the meantime matters greatly, not just for you, but for others in their eternity as well. And everything you need to invest in the kingdom is already given to you. God has equipped you. You are not insignificant. This is our reminder that it's not about us. It's not about what we have, but it's about what Christ gave you. 
and he's never going to underfund you to make a difference. He's equipped you right now to make a difference. And lastly, is that we live with a sense of urgency that I talked about. We have this idea that I'll get to it tomorrow. You know what? That's what you're going to say tomorrow. And the day after that, and the day after that. Till he returns or calls me home here, now, in the power of Christ, I stand. The king is coming back. We will see him face to face. So don't leave the work unfinished. Use what you have to invest in his kingdom until he returns. Let's close in prayer together. God, we thank you uh, just for the call that you've placed in the church. And again, it can feel uh, really scary and overwhelming at times to know what you've called us to, what you've equipped us to. But God, we have such peace in knowing that you've given us everything we need. And that's not about what we can bring to you, but rather what you can do in and through us. What a blessing that is. So help us, Lord, to keep our priorities, our perspective straight, that everything we do would be shaped by your word and your promises first and foremost. So God, continue to equip us. May we all be faithful, working diligently for your kingdom, investing until you return, that one day we can all hear from your very mouth, well done, my good and faithful servant. We ask this is done in your power and provision. And in your name, amen.